Hello, I'm Dr. Geraldine Agee, Miles College Provost and Senior Vice President of Academic Affairs. And I'm here to tell you that now is your time. Miles College is Birmingham's premier four-year HBCU. We offer intimate class sizes, accessible faculty, and a personalized career plan with you in mind. Whether it's your first time in college or you want to return and finish, please come experience Miles College and let us invest in your future. I say this all the time. If you <laughs> don't believe people are sheep, mm -hmm. look on the interstate. Mm -hmm. You can be driving mm -hmm. and nobody around. But you come up on the sheep, and it's it, it, they, and the, they all the traveling in almost, a pack. Yeah, traffic almost stops, but you can't really figure out what happened. Exactly. I was driving. Because people are sheep. The way we stop. like to be. Look at look at cities. Uh-huh. We heard up. Look, look at cities. Most people don't like to be out in the woods. That's true. Out in the country on a couple of acres and nothing. They we, want the neighbor right next we door. We pack it in. Yeah, yeah. So I just, you know, we uh -huh. sheep. We should. Walter Umrani, retired supervisor, facility production planner, and division head at Chevron, an additive division in Bell Chase, Louisiana. Education Dillard University, Southern University, and what is CE, NATCO? Uh, that's Combustion Engineering National Tank Company. Combustion Engineering National Company Certification. Married to the beautiful Phyllis, father of seven, currently re residing in Birmingham, Alabama. How long have you been here now? Longer than four years? Five years, brother. Five years. Mm -hmm. Originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, oldest son. How many brothers and sisters? Well, I, I'm not the oldest. Oh, uh, oldest son is in is a business owner. My oldest son okay, in Georgia. Yes, gotcha. Yes, Youngest sir. son, administrator in City Hall in New Orleans. Daughters are bankers, assembly technicians, and a medical doctor of pediatrics in Oakland, California. Brother Walter, tell me a joke. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> Brother Iva, let me give special thanks to you for using modern technology like this podcast to have constructive, intricate talk among us as a people in the general population. I want to thank you for doing this. But let, let's have a little humor right now. <laughs> and, and Brother Iva, he knows me always and talking serious but I he asked me to come up with something so it's kind of serious but it's kind of humorous but it's kind of not but let me get into it all right I'm watching social media and the television and they interviewed this very intelligent black man 
And uh, the anchor asked him, what is your opinion about the concept of woke? Uh. He said, well, I don't know. I don't think I want to go with it. Uh, I got to look at it. And it it just boggles my mind how we can allow the... The, the the general populations, the powers that be to manipulate our common sense. For example, how funny is it for someone to even be discussing whether you want to be woke or not? Mm. What is the opposite of woke? I'm going to ask you, are you woke or are you sleep. asleep? So, ladies and gentlemen, to be woke is to be conscious. To be woke is to be alive and moving. To be woke is to be aware of what's going on around you. And Brother Ivor and I, we're going to talk some more about how we as a people have to be more involved, more aware of what's going on around us. So if you are not woke, then you are obviously asleep. How can that conversation even come up in a serious mind? If you are asleep, that means you are unconscious. And an unconscious individual does not move. They can only be moved by someone who is conscious and alive. Just remember that. And I think that was so funny and and so uh, amusing to see an intelligent person stumbling on whether he is woke or not. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to leave it at that. It was funny. You see why I love him. <laughs> I got one. Why couldn't the police catch Muslims during Ramadan? Because we was all fast. Fast. They were going too fast. That's right. Going too fast. Okay, good. I picked that up. That's a good one. Yeah, that I had to. One. I had to come up one for with one for the season. That is good because <laughs> this is Ramadan. I yes, am sir. a practicing Muslim and a devout Christian. I'm gonna let the people know that. Yeah, there ain't no separation between me as a Muslim and my Christian family. I'm not gonna let any of you out Jesus me. Now, mm. hold on. <laughs> I got a hold that horse. Look at him. He trying to buck on loose. I got to hold him. First question. And I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this. I always ask my, my guests, they have to tell me their first fondest memory of me, with me, whatever, whatever they come up with. But here is where I want to, Tell you the first time you came on my radar, you had no idea. You, I guess you had just come to the city of Birmingham. That's right. And you were at City Hall talking to uh, the mayor and the city council. And you were talking about your conflict resolution. That is right. And I was like, he is completely out of his mind. Um, and you, you stood, you came into the city of Birmingham and said, I'm going to go into these hot spots where they shooting and killing. That's right. And I'm going to teach these young men conflict resolution. I mean, and 
it was just the bravest thing, mm-hmm. the bravest proposition ever. And I said, damn it, I love that man. <laughs> and ever since, you have been my hero. Um, you you think big, dream big. And, and it's funny, it, as I'm saying this, I'm reminded that when we go to God in prayer, we're to go for big things yes, that sir. we That's can't right. do That's for right. ourselves. That's right. And and it obviously it had to be a move of something greater. Yes, so sir. that is my first thoughts of you. My question is, tell me everything that led up to me seeing that man in that moment. Wow. Well, in New Orleans, I headed up the... No, I want to go back. Mm-hmm. I want to go back. I want to know what your childhood was like, your wow. family. I want to wow. know. I want to know, like, you're my brother, Walter, but I want to know what were his parents like? What was school well, like? What Growing up at your age in America. I'm glad you asked that. As you said earlier, I was raised in New Orleans, and um, we come up poor, man. I have 14 brothers and sisters. My mother had 15 children, and God fixed it where I was the eighth. That means there's seven above me, seven below me, and I heard it all generations. I heard (laughs) it all. And we come up real poor, and my father died when I was seven years old. And that really affected me a lot because we struggled after that. But coming up poor like that, struggling, it creates something in an individual. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you, they said, hard times make resilient men. Mm-hmm. You know, hard times make hard men. Mm-hmm. And that's how I came up. And... Um, I was really always a self-motivating kind of person. Okay. You know, for as I told you, my mother had all them children, and we was in, in a lot of situations, we wasn't living. We was trying to survive. Right. I never, ever remember my mother ever asking me, son, did you do your homework? Never. Or coming to the school uh, there were so many of us. You was pretty much on your own. You had to be self-motivated to do your homework, get up and go to school. Or my mother never had to wake me up to go to school. I did that on my own. I was involved in music. In my junior and senior year, I played sports. And I was on the, some of the academic clubs. And I was really involved. School was fun to me. Mm. But I have to give credit to when I was 15 years old, there was two men pulled up. We was on the streets of the Fisher Housing Projects. And if anybody know anything of New Orleans, ask anybody from New Orleans about the old Fisher Housing Projects and they're going to give you a story. (laughs) Okay. That's the reputation it had where I was raised up. Right. And these two brothers in suits, Came upon us with four of us standing on the corner shooting the breeze, 15 years old. They said, look, we have a meeting, special meeting for black people. It's right at the park. We'll bring you, we'll bring you all back, give you some refreshments. Would you all like to come? 
wasn't doing nothing, and I went. And it was the members of the teaching of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And that was my first introduction to the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and Islam as taught to black people in America. Now, how old were you at that moment? I was 15 years old. And they taught about Easter. And it was, as I can remember the minister saying, we have to look into these holidays and see how it affects us. Is it beneficial for us? Does it, is it really connected to Jesus? What the rabbit and the egg have to do with Jesus? And a light went on in my head. He said, he said, if anything, if we have an Easter egg, it make more sense to have an Easter chicken. Where does this rabbit come from? <laughs> and they went on and on. And I was, I was never the same. And what that made me do was to start thinking critically about everything. And, um, and before I stop, special thanks to Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. They really taught me how to love Brother Ivor. He said, well, what do you mean by that, Brother Walter? When I joined the Nation of Islam, it was because of there were militants. See, I was always challenging. I was militant in college. Mm-hmm. And these were black men who's, who were militant-minded and wasn't afraid to speak their mind. Mm-hmm. That's why I really joined. It was just after they taught me how to love your people. Because as leaders, and I'm talking to everyone in this audience, if you don't have a genuine love for black people, <laughs> you cannot be a savior for them. You have to love black people more than they hate themselves. You have to love black people more so much that you can do like Jesus did. He say, you know that part in the Bible that says you slap you on the cheek? That don't mean that you're open enemy. Your open enemy slap you or hurt you. You pick up something and knock the hell out of them. But when you are dealing with your own people who have been mentally destroyed by this system, that we hate ourselves, they think nothing of calling you an MF at the drop of a hat. You have to be willing to take that and look at them and let them know, I still love you, man. I love you more than you hate yourself. I'm here to teach you and show you a good example. And then that's when you on another plane. That's what they taught me. That's why you saw me at City Hall, because in spite of what everyone says, all of our young people, Regardless of all the murder and the shooting and the savagery that you see, they are still of God. And every one of them are redeemable. Every one of them. They just need the right touch, the right environment, the right love to be shown to them. And they are all redeemable. Yes, sir. Now, when you got to college. Yes. And moved on into your professional career. Yes. What was that walk like? Wow. What happened, and I'm going to be perfectly honest, I was at Southern University in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, like all young black men, we were out there. Uh, my girlfriend from high school, we were, we were girlfriend, boyfriend ever since eighth grade in high school. We were together. She went to Southern. I went to Dillard at first. So we, that's the only time we separated, but we were still all together. Well, when she got pregnant, I married her. And I'm telling all you young brothers out there, you know, we don't want to marry them sisters. They got good women out there. I was taught to be a man, and I married her. 
And uh, and then I was at Southern University, and I started going to Southern at night and working at Avondale Shipyard in the daytime. That's what got me interested in the petroleum industry. Mm. That's what led me to CE Combustion Engineering National Tank Company. And uh, I was the only certified, I was the only certified cold welder in that shop that had color on him. The only black man in that whole company. And um, I never took no wood nickels. <laughs> no, I'm, just tell, I'm, I'm telling all of us, yeah. we, your, this is for everybody, but I'm talking in black people in particular. Your professionalism, your attention to detail in whatever you do, your technical skills, you sharp, your own time, you deliver goods, own schedule, that amount of perfection will carry you through any storm. I can go work for the Ku Klux Klan, and they can be coming and tell me, you see that N right there? He really do some good goddamn work. <laughs> And, uh, and don't any of you, don't any of you give him any trouble. They and, protected and me in the industry. And that I want you to go at it because all along your matriculation and elevation through the petroleum industry, you ain't see nobody that looked like you along the way. Didn't see anyone. And uh, but it didn't bother me. It it really didn't. I I was I was taught that you are a reflection of the same force that created the universe. And with that in mind, you, it's hard to defeat a person who believes like that. You're mm -hmm. not going to defeat them. You're not going to take them off. You mentioned earlier in our conversation about being focused. That's what's killing us today, man. If you are a focused individual, man, other people, as soon as they notice that about you, they, they get out of your way. They, if they can't help you, they get back because they right. know you will run over them if they get in the way. That's right. You know, and that's what we have to be. We can do it. We have to believe in ourselves and not drink the Kool-Aid of this society. What mm -hmm. I mean by that is we were told you never was nothing, never will be nothing. This is what they told our grandfathers, and they tell us that in different ways today. I'm looking at a movie um, my grandson had on. It was a title. This is an older movie. It was Menace to Society. Mm. And they put in this movie the young brothers just savagely killing each other, robbing and killing. And, and they put it in the movies and put that out there for our young people to you know, like they glorify the, the thug style now. Mm -hmm. You know, this mm -hmm. is what, but we don't make our own movies. Mm -hmm. But we can. Well, I mean. We, we coming to it. We coming into power right now. I see it. And our open. But we're making, we making we, we, that stuff for us. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, I just had to throw that out there. It's because like, it sells. Yeah. And the producers produce it, and we going for the money. It's like Dr. Aleem said. We uh, he was talking to the the young rappers who are very intelligent, by the way. But they got that old gangster rap thing, and he said, "If that's all you're going to do because that sells," he said, "You are no more than hogs at the trough." That's right. how he described it. Right. That garbage is killing our people. You making big money. That, I mean, listen to their wordplay. Some of it is and wrong. their vocal. They're brilliant. 
Some, some of those young men are truly wordsmiths. They are. They have a command of the language <laughs> that that some white men don't have. Because exactly. you, you have to to be able to play with words like that. It's brilliant. They're brilliant. And listen, you know we have a recording studio at the Crescent Center. We go get to it. <laughs> and, and, of course, at our studio, you can't come with the MF this and the yeah, this yeah. and the... We gonna talk about it, but hold on. I want. I gotta ask you this. Go I gotta ask you this. While that was all going on professionally, mm-hmm. what was your personal walk like? Yeah, hills, easy. Yeah. What What was that like? Yeah. I always had this mission to help and serve the people. It's my calling. And people say, how do you know it's your calling? Anything that you do of good that fulfills you and make you feel like you're walking on clouds, that, that's what your calling is. That's right. And helping the people. We had always had community meetings. I was always the PTO president at a school because, you know, I had several children at different age levels. I was always the PTO president fighting for things that, Woke people should do, <laughs> and uh, you mean obvious things sure. that woke people should understand, be conscious of, and pursue. You always had to spearhead them, and I was always involved in that. And my first marriage didn't work, and I stayed single a long time, and that was a traumatic experience for me because I wanted to be married, mm-hmm. you know, and. And I, I have to say something, not being boastful, but I want you all to listen, audience. When I was a young man, I, you know, I worked in the petroleum industry, and I was good at what I did, never missed work. I always had money, always had a fine home with zebra-skin couches, always had sports cars, always was tall and neat and good-looking. During my single years, that's when I found out how rough it is out here for black women. (laughs) Right. It was rough. There was some days I couldn't even get out my car after work because of someone running me down in the front. And once they get in the house, you can't get them out of there. But I want to say this. um, There's nothing more precious there's nothing more precious than a black woman, man. I got to say it. With all out here, all the talk about out here, all and this, that, and the other. There's nothing more beautiful than a black woman. And when a black woman really love you, I mean really love you, they be so sweet to you, be so sweet, they don't even give you sugar diabetes. <laughs> Let me remind you of something. <laughs> um... You've asked me, Eric, about whether I would. We've. T- I won't say you really asked, but we've talked about whether I would ever be married again, and this, that, and the other. I don't know if I told you this, but I often tell people, so I may have. You know, I was a little ashamed of the fact of being divorced three times. So anytime somebody asked me, I've been there. I would say. 
nah, that's not for me. You know, nobody, I don't want to sit up and say, yeah, I still want to be married. You know, mm. I went to Brother Walter and he told me, don't be ashamed. Hold your head high. Don't. And remember, you said you're a marrying man. That, that's right. That is something that's honorable, to. Man. That's honorable. That's what she said. That's that's honorable. He said, "Don't worry about what what you failed at. It's honorable to be that type of man." And that gave me a new pride. Instead of you know thinking, "Well, shit, I'd be lucky if I you know, take what I get." You know what I mean? But that that just and I told you that meant the world to me when you spoke life into me like that, and that's and this it's is, one of the things that you always do, and you always say that as black men, it's important for us to sow into one another, not just have our mothers and our women, but it's yeah. important for black men to talk to black men and that just meant a lot to me but finish what you were saying about saying, love yeah. and black women <laughs> <laughs> well, we could easily we could easily just throw in the towel hey this one didn't work I ain't getting married no more I'm gonna just play the field Yeah. but that term is called a playboy they don't call them boys for nothing mm. that's why it's called a playboy they ain't a play man men have families I'm going to just leave it like that. It's honorable of you. And when I see you, I bow to you. It is honorable of you for as to say I did not give up. I'm going to give it a chance again for this institution of marriage. And I, it's honorable. It didn't work. Mine didn't either. I had several. And, uh, and, and I got the, I'm a focus man. Mm. And there is someone for all of us, Brother Iva. If you want to take your time and think about it and hold out, that's fine, too. <laughs> that's what we're going to do for a little but bit. I, but I <laughs> honor honor all men who've been married once, two, three times. That's an honorable man. Because in our society, you could just throw in the towel. There's no laws. In the Islamic world, you can't play the field. I came up in a—Islam is a way of life. It's not just a religion. You don't play the field there. You either have wife or you don't. There ain't no playing around. In our society, man, them years I was single, you could have put a revolving door on my house. <laughs> and I, but I stopped that. My, my foundation. You had some saloon doors on oh, there. Oh, man, you could have put flip to come in and out. <laughs> but I stopped that. Because God helped me to realize, Brother Walter, that's not you. Because I, I was really hurt when my little marriage failed. And I got to be honest with you. I was, that was my first love. I, you know, your first love when you marry them, when you look 10, 20 years in advance, they are there. You know, that's how it is with that's men. Right. And when that failed, because I always wanted to be like my father. Man, he had all them children. He was there. I wanted to be like him, but it didn't work. But I'm going to tell you, all them visitors I had when I was single, some of them made me forget all about them. So, but, That's right. But I had to stop that. I, I wanted structure. And Minister Willie Muhammad is a minister in New Orleans. Like I said, I was always a street person. I wanted to get things done. Let's stop the violence. Let's get after the DA in New Orleans that's doing this. Let's get after the, 
the uh, the council that's not doing the work. See, that was me. Yeah. His thing was relationship teaching. Then I was saying, man, you know, they're teaching relationship. Let's get out in these streets and get the thing. But then I realized in the black community, strong families make strong communities. That's the basis of our foundation. Let me ask you this. If somebody was listening mm -hmm. and they were about to get married, mm -hmm. give them a piece of advice. First time. Well, I can give a whole lot of advice. People no, I'm saying the no, first time no, married. They're yeah, getting married no, for the first but, time. Well, people say, well, you've been married two, three times. What are you to give me advice? That's how I know. <laughs> That's you right. listen to people like Ivor. <laughs> That's how we know. It ain't no perfect world out here. We God allowed us to go through the ringer several times. We, That's how we know. We paid for it, so you That's ain't right. got to buy we, it. And we paid for it. <laughs> That's right. And I tell people, I started from zero twice. I say, what you mean by that? I had house, furnished, cars, the whole shebang, and walked away when it just took my clothes and my truck and little sports car. I did that twice. And every time I came back bigger and better. That's how you know God is with you. That's right. I know some men after a divorce go to drinking. Yeah. Go start running whores and wind up on drugs and, and the life just go down. No. When you go through a divorce and there's a little period of reflection, you know, you, you <laughs> chill for a minute. <laughs> That's right. But you like yourself, you come back strong. You're still sane and strong and speaking good sense. Yeah, God is with you. That's right. But I'd say to all of the young men out there today, you know, and um, with God's grace and permission, next month, which starts Saturday, April the 15th, I'll be 70 years old. Amen. But I don't feel the years, though. I got to be honest with you. You don't I, look it. I don't even think about my age until somebody asks me about it, tell me about it. I don't even think it. But anyway... The new generation is different from when I was 25 and 30 years old. It's different out there today. But there are good women out there. I tell the young men, you got to be a man. You got to be a man. You got to be willing to put up with the storms in these relationships. So what do you mean by that? Because you you're going to have them. Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan told us that I'm speaking to men about black women in particular. It's all women, but I'm speaking about black women in particular. Black women are strong women. They're the original females of this planet. A strong-willed black woman will not accept a weak man. So she's going to try you periodically. She's going to try you and see if you don't stand up for yourself when she challenges you. Because she don't want no punk. She don't want no weak man over her children. They'll get you to the point to the, I can remember conversation with me where I told my wife, if you, tell, if you bring that up one more GD time, I'm going to set this damn house on fire. I didn't mean that, though, but that's just how they push you to get talk, talking crazy right, like that. You right. know? Then she backed up and said, okay, he... He might, he must be the one. <laughs> yeah, say it one more time, and then they start. <laughs> but so be prepared for that, 
black men. Be prepared for that challenge and meet the challenge every time. You, you, uh, you have to have uh, a set of kahunas the size of, a, of uh, bowling balls today <laughs> and keep them intact. And then the women love a man like that. Women love courageous men that don't fear nothing because they know that you will protect them. A fearful man, no, no real woman want no man like that. I don't care how much money he got. You keep him around just for the money. But a real man, that's what a black woman wants. Hi, I'm Tanita Kane from the Kane Law Firm. For 23 years, we have been the name you know. And definitely the name you can trust for your legal needs, whether it be criminal defense, personal injury, or family law. We can take care of your needs. Call 205-202-4077 or visit our website at www.canelawbham.com. That's www.canelawbham.com. I'm going to ask you some this or that questions, right? Yes, sir. You have to choose between the two. All right. Regions Park or Rickwood Field? You choose. Regions Park or Rickwood Field? Correct me if I'm wrong. Regions Park. Regions Park is that stadium right there in our community, isn't that correct? Rickwood is in the community. Regions is over by um downtown. Downtown. Okay, okay. I get Regions and Legions. Oh yeah, it, that Regions is the brand new okay Birmingham Barons, mm. the the new stadium. Yeah, yeah. that's that's for them. <laughs> you know that we have to develop. There's um, off of Loam Avenue, there's a, a big park there that was for the original. Right, Rickwood Field. The Barons. Yeah. And it's just it just sits like vacant. Well, they're, they're working on bringing it back, so you're going to choose Rickwood Field then. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Botanical Gardens or Railroad Park? Okay, I'm still relatively new relatively yep. new to the city. But the botanical gardens That's over by the zoo. That's by the zoo. Mm-hmm. And the railroad park that's Is that's of, the one next to Regents Park. Okay. Um the one that's by the zoo I understand was an old burial ground. Did you hear that story? No. Where the where the Birmingham Zoo is. Uh-huh. That was a burial ground. Do do some research because I'm kind of new to the city. Yeah, so, I was so doing you some history, right? And that's really sacred ground over there. So I don't know what one really to go by there. To, I'm, to, I gotta to I there. gotta look into that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love those little pieces of history. Where that zoo is now was a uh, burial ground and uh, for black people, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Protective stadium or legacy arena. Mm. That new stadium is something. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Legacy Arena is, is kind of, it's not the same uses as the stadium that's indoors at the, the Legacy. Is that right. correct? Right. It's an indoor arena. Um, if I had to choose one, mm-hmm. I'll go big. <laughs> go big or go home. Yes, sir. 
Crossplex or Legion Field? Mm. Mm. I have to go with Legions. Okay. All right. Birmingham Zoo or McWayne Science Center? Mm. Uh, being with the history, uh, I, I want to go with the science. Okay. Sloss Furnace or Vulcan Park? Mm. To me, mm-hmm. the Sloss Furnace, that name, that's a guy's name. He helped, that was his last name, Sloss. He helped develop that process. And you know I'm an old chemical plant processing kind of guy. And that stood for progress, that stood for jobs, that stood for production. Yeah, I'm going to go with production. All right. I like the way you come to your answers. Yes, sir. Birmingham Barons or Birmingham Squadron? Oh, yeah, I got to go with the Barons. (laughs) All right. Birmingham Legion or the Birmingham Stallions? Um. I enjoyed some of the Stallions' work. All right. Alabama or Auburn? You know I got to go with Alabama. Roll (laughs) Tide. Alabama State or Alabama A&M? I had some association with some of the student government at Alabama State that had a situation there. In that city, in the city, they down there by Montgomery, Mobile. That's right, Montgomery. Montgomery, mm-hmm. and uh, I was really impressed with some of the student government association there. It seemed like you were about to say something about Alabama Auburn. I, I, did I cut you off? Were no, you about yeah. To- uh, this this gentleman, Nick Saban. Yeah. People have a lot of comments about him, pro and con, but he's not just an ordinary coach. No. He's not no ordinary person. No. And there are things about him that you don't see on the camera, the way he's helped some of the students of color in some trying situations that he could have easily bent toward the pressures of the outside community, and he stood firm. So I have to give him his props, not just for it. They asked him, uh, 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 Coach Saban, in an interview, uh, what's exciting now? Do you ever get bored uh, uh, what are you doing now? And his answer was, you mean, do I ever get bored winning? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I thought that was no, You never get bored when you, you never kick get it, bored when you win winning. You got a winning season and playoff and championships every year. How can you be bored with that? Amen to that. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, um, what are we going to do? With our young men, we got we got some young men on that trajectory for being Scott, uh, student athletes. We have young men going into trades. We have young men going into the military. But getting back to the crux of your work, what are we gonna do? with the generation or generations that you fight so hard for yeah. and that, that have me so disgusted. Yes, sir. And it disgusts you because you're a man who loves your community and people. It disgusts people like you because you know their real potential 
and you just hate to see it squandering and being non-productive and ignorance. You hate ignorance. That's why I discuss it. You know, I <laughs> and I had to put it that way. But I, I'm to the point right now, um, you know, and I'm not smart like you young people. I've just been around a while. i going th- through the eco approach. You can't approach crime and violence in one direction. You got to deal with all of the social factors that's involved almost simultaneously. For example, schools. And I've always been intrinsically involved in education. And when I'm looking at the numbers from the state report, Montgomery, you can't go by with some of these local people telling you. Mm -hmm. I went to the state, and the state report shows that our inner city schools in Birmingham, we are not doing well. Of the inner city schools in Birmingham, I think Ramsey had the best result. Mm -hmm. Jackson Nolan was at the rock bottom. Mm. So, and I'm and I'm not going into much details. A lot of people, a lot of people don't like you calling out their schools because they say I'm a model for my children. I'm gonna leave it there, but I I I'm to the point now. I can't worry about sometimes. Who may not feel good about what I'm saying, prove me wrong, and I'll apologize. But when I give you statistics, I know what I'm talking about. That's right. I can prove what I'm saying. And some of these results that I'm seeing, where is the red flag? We have this big white elephant in the room where our young people are graduating but cannot read and do math on a competitive level. I went to a meeting at the University of uh, Alabama, Birmingham, with this organization called Prosper. Mm. I was invited there because I'm associated with the Crescent Center, and they help nonprofits. I brought up the fact that they were talking about all the programs they can do. Oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I said, when are we going to talk about how our children are not making the mark educational-wise? This big white elephant in the room, anybody going to talk about it? And you can hear silence. After the meeting, there was a white lady, real nice lady. I can't remember her name. She was a retired, receptive. She was the person who received your applications to University of Alabama, Birmingham Mm. as a student. She didn't say it over a microphone like I did, but she pulled me to the side at that meeting, and she told me who she was, what her former position was as receiving students, and she said, yes, you are correct. Those students who come in from Birmingham, they are not at a level to compete. She told me that and told me in a way that that went deep in my soul because she felt it. But I have to say it. I don't expect others who are not. Some of us got to be willing to give the raw truth. Right. Regardless of the circumstances. And that lady, she might have thought she was going to come under fire if she said something like that. You know, we get sensitive, like I was saying earlier. But the truth needs to be told. So, so goes your academic level. It's directly related to, remember I said the ecosystem, it's directly related to the crime and violence. You have poor education, that means you have poor skills. Poor skills leads to dropouts and people going into other 
um, areas that's non-productive and you know criminal activity. That's right. So to me, that's a big that's a big push we have to do. And you will not affect education in the schools if it does not have the wraparound process. I mean, the parents and the guardians have to be directly involved. There's a study out now. It says, and I've been doing a lot of research on this, it has been proven in every situation when the parents and guardians have a positive relationship with the school and the teachers and the administrators, the results of their children are off the charts. It's been proven. It happens every time. So, so where is the alarm here? Right now, I spoke to one or two of the school officials, and they told me, right now, the only obligation of the parent is that the child have to attend school. There's no other obligation. Are you in a report card conference? Do you have a, do you, are you aware of the reading level of your child? Are they reading up to par? Do they need assistance? Because there's assistance programs, and I'm going to send you all this documentation later. This, oh, you don't have to send it to me. I well, know Well, you know, okay. <laughs> all right. You, I'm preaching to the choir, but I want the audience to listen, uh, Brother Ivor. But you want to, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm obliging you, but mm. the audience listening to this, yes, that they're the choir too. Okay. <laughs> See, the, here, I'm, here's the painful truth. I have had people from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum articulate what our challenges are. Mm -hmm. I've had one person to the end of to tell us what should be done. None of it can be done. None of it is going to be done. So then what? Right now, I'm working on an updated parent guardian accountability plan. I'm doing interviews with some teachers who have taught for years. I'm doing some interviews with some doctor. Dr. Burroughs is helping me. Let me throw She's this here. out there as you articulate this. Hold mm -hmm. your thought. But mm -hmm. I want to remind you of two things. Mm -hmm. What you said yourself. Parents don't have to do nothing. Mm -hmm. And I, and I want to throw with one more caveat out there. Your neighbor, you know, <laughs> you know residents... Don't have to do nothing. Mm -mm. That's right. So how do we change okay. when you dealing with all these folk that ain't got to change shit and ain't going to change shit? Well, let me say this, and I'm glad you brought that up. In the 70s, it was told to me, and remember, I was always militant, thought I could whip everybody. It was told to me, young man. One day in your car, there will be safety belts in there. And you will have to wear them. You know, I said, shit, it's my car. I said, I put safety belt. I do it if I want. Matter of fact, I ain't even putting them in there. That's how I talked at then. Today, when I get in my vehicle, that's the first thing I do <laughs> is put the safety belt on because of law. Because of awareness, because of the facts they have proven to save lives. 
I'm telling you that. These people that tell me, look, I, I know, and some of the poor mothers out there, I have to admit, have two jobs trying to survive with their children. No man, they help them. They, they struggling. They don't half the time. They don't know if the children home. They ain't, they ain't got time to check homework or nothing. Nothing. We 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 have to find a way to assist them, but something have to happen. So all of those, as you said, don't have to and not going to do it. That's because there's an absence of strong law. What I'm pushing and others who agree with me. It's going to be in the form of a policy where you will have to do it or the sheriff going to knock on your door. That's what I'm talking about. And guess what? You don't, you don't, many doors don't have to be knocked on once the rest of them see. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you where this is going to end. Go ahead. Because I've been down the road and people, you know, as much sense as that makes, you're going to come up against the family courts and the judges and um, activists who are going to say, well, you can't arrest people for being poor. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't vilify them. You can't, you know, put people in the court process because now they got to pay fines and this, that, and the other. So it's like, okay, that th- I'm just showing you why I gave up, right? Mm-hmm. Because, yes, we need stronger laws. But those laws ain't going to do nothing but hurt poor people more. So it's like, okay, so you don't put the laws there so that these people won't get in the justice system. And But without the intervention, we're going to tear our shit up. It's crazy. It's, it's like insane. It's in the point of um, it's a cycle of that yeah. nothing can be done. But I'm going to tell you like this. Which is you, why we need God, but I'm sorry. When they give you a ticket for not having your safety belt on, they don't care if you got no money or not. Yeah, they didn't ask you, well, how's your family? Is this going to cause you heartache? And, and, well, you and, wanna... and, and guess what? You and I talked a little bit about, um, at one time, about the conditions of these prisons. It boggles my mind with the street three-strike law. There are people with... LWOF, life without parole, LWOPs, mm-hmm. life without parole that are nonviolent offenders. They never shot anybody. They never raped or robbed anyone. Have life without parole because of street strike. That, that boggles my mind. That's what is called in the legal world cruel and unusual punishment. But is it? But it's still going on. But I'm saying, but is it? Is it cruel and unusual? I think it is. All I'm saying is if you line up all of their victims, mm-hmm. they say otherwise. No, but I'm saying they're victims of somebody because I stole a purse. I didn't shoot nobody. I didn't rape nobody. Yeah, but I mean, my mama's purse had every last dime we had. <laughs> you know, I mean, all, all I'm saying here, you know, I, I have literally fought so many battles. I, I even know the opposite side, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the, the the altar argument, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know I agree with you 100%. Yes, sir. But I just... You, but I'm not saying a, they won't serve time. I'm just saying forever. Where, That's where, the one. That's the one. Because some of them have uh, other disorders. And but, see, but see, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know... 
I don't know how to address any of that. I don't I don't know where those lines lie, right? For example, what's the line, what's the demarcation mark between punishing me, giving me something to think about, educating me, returning me to society, you know? What's the line between me being in, in there too long mm. and now I'm a I'm once you let me go I'm a threat to society cuz I've been in here so long I'm I'm you know um yeah. uh, institutionalized and and it so all of that I I'm not the one to answer that cuz I think that all sentencing should be looked at from from white collar crime to crimes against per- persons I think all of it should have some level of study behind it yes, because sir. at a certain point you're not rehabilitating men Mm-mm. you ain't doing nothing but revving them up and sending them That's back all. into society it's like the minister said they are serving they are serving time instead of time serving them when they're in these institutions they should have training more wisdom and all to prepare them to come back and be a productive citizen. But you said something that triggered me. White collar crimes. I I never saw anybody with a three strike you out in a white collar crime. So I want you to I want you to uh, uh, weigh that one around a little bit. It only happens. Oh, I can I can. You know, because I'm I'm not I'm not the one to exp- to, to um you know. Support one. I say yes, they sir. need it too. Yes, sir. like I'm, I'm right. not. I ain't letting nobody off. Right. You see what I'm saying? Because <laughs> see, some of these white collar criminals have worked, wiped out entire. Uh, um, That's right. Pensions, pensions of and retirements. I think them motherfuckers need to be up under the jail. That's you right. know. So you know. That's right. All of it needs to be looked at, though. But I let's mean, do I, the. Let's get back to the school system. Yes. 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 To those who are controlling the narratives, to those who are controlling the narratives, they have us. In the school, they don't even encourage intrinsic parent involvement. I want you to do a little research, go out and... Well, you know where they do do that? mm. They do it in charter schools. They do it in private schools. Yes. You know why they don't do it in public schools? No, tell me. Because Eric's in prison and his girlfriend does not, well, the baby mama, um, you know, she's not the biggest on education herself and she might be doing drugs or whatever the case may be. And so now you as the teacher are dealing with this problem this person <laughs> you know and you never have a chance to get to it so here again i'm saying like we can jump on our teachers and the administrators but then we got you got to understand what they dealing with they are glorified babysitters not in their minds but in the minds of these parents who only send their children to school to eat and 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 they get education but they don't really care because they're not educated themselves it's these are all vicious cycles that I'm like, hey, how much you need for me to donate? Because I'm tired. <laughs> but let's look at it from a legal standpoint. Yeah. 
if I have a child in school and there's some real tight restrictions as you get into third grade, that's when they start doing the standardized testing. Mm -hmm. If I have a child in third grade, he's in third grade now, and can barely read single-syllable words, the parent did not even was not even aware that the child had a learning disorder. The parent did not even know that they were supposed to come to the parent uh, interview. They didn't know because there's not a communication source. The teachers will tell you, putting letters in the children's hand to say, bring this to your parent, they got to do, that don't work. And I haven't seen the effort to go to step two, an actual email to the parents. We can do it. We, with modern technology, that could easily be done in a right communication system. We can't hold the parents totally responsible if they're not properly informed of what's they're, going on. They're, they're, they're informed. Now, listen, I do this. No, I had them tell they, me. Uh, no, I you had ain't had me. Who? You asked who did you a, have a lie couple, to you like that? A couple that I interviewed. They 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 wasn't even aware that their child was uh Yeah, because that's feeling. because they did not care at all. I'm mm -hmm. I'm not going to allow so many I I really respect teachers. You're not going to tell me they're not trying to they reach out to better. these parents. These parents can go to hell as far as I'm concerned. Cuz that's some bullshit. I know that they are trying to communicate. All right. My my where I'm gonna land on is this. I agree 100 percent But in a class of 30 kids, that's gonna land about 30 adults in jail. The reason that they have not put these laws into place, I'm not I'm looking to it. I'm telling you what I know because I've <laughs> I thought the same thing. Mm -hmm. What you're gonna have is just a whole bunch of poor people in jail. Well, it may not have to get to that. For example, I'm saying if you put, if we are to put laws in place, mm -hmm. right? For let's let's just mm -hmm. let's go to littering. We talk about how how bad we our communities look. Okay, mm -hmm. if we start. Getting the police to pay attention to litterers, they gonna throw fifty to sixty people in jail every day that have no way to bail themselves out. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, you go go into the schools. You you you. If these kids uh, don't go to school, mom and daddy uh, gotta go to jail. I won't say that because that, that will happen. But well, the only reason they go to jail because they're not well, going to school is because the state won't pay for them. And that's the whole thing. But I digress. My point is simply this. If you start punishing the parents, which is, I think, what we should do. I'm just telling you what, you're, what people are going to fight back with. It's not going to help the people that you want to help. It's only going to hurt them more. Okay. I'm going to give them a little bit more credit than that. And I could be wrong, but it stands to be proven. For example, in this same country, dealing with the same people who we are trying to come up with some workable solutions for, 
at one time there was laws that you, as a black person, you could should not be caught with a book. At one time there was laws that you could not teach a black person to read. Under the stars and stripes, there was laws strong enough to keep us back, and those generational curses are still with us. And you might disagree, but no other people did that happen to. No other people in every inner city I go to are always at the bottom of academics and reading. So we have to give some credit to the bandages of those Jim Crow laws that were put of it, and it was strong laws that got us to this position, and it's going to take strong laws to get us out. How are they administered is what you and I are talking about. It may not have to be on a punitive level with incarceration. For example, if I send my one-year-old to first, not one-year-old, six-year-old to first grade, and the child can't even count numbers, or no, barely no alphabets, in court, that's a form of child abuse. That child was abused. Somebody neglected that child to have basic, basic acknowledgement of words and numbers. That's a certain level of child abuse. That's how you have to classify it. So you're going to take a 20-year-old mother. Mm-hmm who is working at daytime at Captain D's, mm-hmm. nighttime at Walmart, mm-hmm. you going to make her come to court and lose her job. And then what? Well, there's many steps before that. But but we there. But Now, you the one that said no, we there. So no, we here but, now. But No, no, no. We here now. We here now, all right? She thought Mang Mang was getting little Julie ready. Mm-hmm. She was either asleep. She, she either gone or sleep every time they, they hit the house. I'm just painting the picture that the same one that was painted for me that left me and speechless because every time... You you think about, well, you know, we just need to talk to them parents. When you going to talk to them? They work in two, three jobs. You going to get them that. off work? I mean, like, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it to you with some level of I have amusement. But, but when it was coming at me as yeah. I was presenting this stuff, mm-hmm. it took my breath. Because I was I like, how the fuck it, are we going to take? But in New Orleans, I had to physically apologize to the parents of Landry School. Because I got after him for not coming to the PTO meetings when the children didn't have books. They had no books. They had a classroom set, but you go home to do homework, you had no book. Because the book is the reference. They had no books. I said, well, this is crazy. Where are the children's books? And the parents was allowing this condition to exist. So I got after him. You come to this meeting, there's no excuse. The children not having books. And he didn't come, so I got after him. Two, three of the parents, sisters came and told me the same thing you said. I understand what you're saying. I wanted to come, but I got two jobs. I, got to, I had to apologize to them. I understand that, Brother Ivor. But they have a cousin. They have an uncle. 
They have a aunt. They have somebody who's sitting around doing nothing that they can call. You said earlier how creative and words you. some of these young people are with they with they rap and how creative they are. They ain't dumb. They only get dumb when it's time for you to ask them. Oh, they're not something. dumb. Their mamas and daddies dumb. I mean, let I'm, me be I'm, clear. No, I'm saying. I'm <laughs> I want to be, be clear where my disgust lies. Mom, it's not in the kids. These, it's in their mammies and pappies. These mommies and daddies that we're talking about can be very creative yeah. if they have some type of pressure put on them. Right now, it's like you said. The school ain't nothing but a modern daycare center. That's all it is. They're not into it. And we fail, and I got the numbers. So how do we let that to continue? The powers that be, they don't mind. They're good candidates for these three new prisons, maximum security prisons you're building. They know. I'm from corporate America. We don't build institutions and facilities unless we know we, there's a product for it. I'm telling you. We can talk about these problems till we blew in the face. But what's most important are the solutions. And one of the solutions to the challenges in and around West End and everywhere that West, the, the roads of West End touch uh, lead to the Crescent Center. Yes, sir. Tell us what you're doing there. And, and I, I got to say this, you people are usually used to me asking, what's your favorite charity? But this is by far your favorite charity. <laughs> That's true. And so I want you to tell us all about your charity and how we can support it. Well, when I retired from Chevron and moved here, I took my <clears throat> retirement money and bought the 3,000 square foot office building and 15,000 square foot event center, workshop we have over there, and studio for the community. And, you know, I'm retired now. I could have easily leased that place out to companies and tire company and others and, you know, make money, but I'm making the sacrifice for the community. We have a lot of people in our neighborhoods and community that want to have events and meetings to help uplift the community but can't afford a fancy hall or go downtown, but they can come to the Crescent Center. And what's unique about the Crescent Center, we are a unified entity. We have the Moorish scientists there. We have the Nation of Islam there. We had Pastor T with a Christian church meeting there. We had the uh, the, brother, the brothers with the five percenters. Uh, yeah. We had some Hebrew Hebrewite events over there. We are a culmination of groups and organizations and beliefs under one umbrella because our unity is our best strength. As long as we are rugged individualists, as you and I were talking about earlier, the enemy would always be in control. So at the Crescent Cultural Community Center, Regardless of who you are in your station, if you want to do something of good for the community, give us a call. Come and see us. We're on Facebook. We have our website, Crescent Cultural Community Center, and you will see all of the things that we are doing. One of the most important things, and I have to mention, Brother Anthony, from the 
violence intervention work that he was doing at the center and still doing, he is now employed by the Jefferson County Family Resource Center under their Restore program. Shout out to Ann Ski. Right. Congratulations. That's right. And and he, you know, he came from the streets. Yeah. He can relate to them like these college graduates, like you and his mother was, they can't relate to them. Yeah. And he's been very successful with it. Uh, the other thing that's coming up on April the 27th, we have a violence interruption workshop. This is the second one. What that is about. We were asked by the city government to go to five high schools last summer. This was at the height of the violence in the schools. And we came with our crime intervention groups. And Anthony, we rapping to him. And I got to, you know, I'm old school. I'm be, I, I can't understand a word he be saying. <laughs> but them young people, they do. Yeah. They be writing, he had them going. They was going, he was rapping about his experience and about being conscious and focused, as you said earlier. So after he got them all wrapped up and riled up and everybody pumped up together, he asked them, this was at Parker High School, and thanks to the principal there, I think Mr. Howard. Daryl Hudson. Daryl Hudson. Yeah. Special thanks to him. Kind of heavy set, brother. Yeah, but he was my all, church member. I love him to death. Love him to death. He was all, and I can see on his face the concern for those young people. Indeed. They had about 500 of them in the auditorium this day. And Anthony had them all engaged. And he asked them, how many of you know a close associate or a peer or a friend that you know carry a firearm. And Brother Ivor and Brother Flowers, it blew my mind. I'm saying it looked like the whole auditorium raised their hands. But I'm, I'm going to give it a conservative 85%. I was shocked. I said, man, this, this thing is, is, is more intense and rough and worse than I thought. They knew. Close friend, peer, or good buddy that they knew carried a firearm. 85% of them raised their hands. So this, this violence-interrupting workshops we do, we know the guns are out there. And like you saying, you'd be wasting your time telling them, okay, y'all, put the guns down and turn them in. They ain't going to do that. Even though that'd be good to ask. <laughs> right. So we know they got them. How do we educate them on the consequences of what you're carrying? How do you weigh and try to focus and divert from the worst scenarios of the consequence of carrying a firearm? How do you store it? How do you not let your young brother, your little sister, I'm reading in the paper, a 9, 10-year-old playing with a gun and shoot his brother in the head. They playing with a... That's happening in our community more than others because I did the research, Brother Ivor. White people send their children to gun training. You go, go, go Google it. I did the research. That surprised me too until I saw the research. And I'm one, I have to go with facts. Man, if I said they need to start teaching gun handling and firing yeah, and safety, all of that in right. the school, and people told me I was crazy. Well, they got them anyway. They got them. And this is the problem. You are a realist. 
Right. Realists do things that the common people sometimes think you are nuts. But you were creative, courageous enough to bring it up because you have courage and you have commitment. They would not even bring that up. So ask them, what is your solution then? Those who are saying don't do the training. What is your solution? They don't have one. I ain't going to lie. I had to see Until you brought it up, mm-hmm. I forgot I even said that. That was about 10 years ago. Right now, I bet you if I said it out loud, somebody do it. Because this is a different world. It's a different world, This is worse than it was 10 years ago. No, you and I are not advocating carrying guns. No. They got them already. Exactly. And I'm seeing this. But but back to your your statistics. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't have one, the numbers say one of my friends do. That's correct. I still need to know how to handle that. And look at that gun safely right. to know what's safe, unsafe, right. the whole nine yards. You're going to come in the presence of one if all your friends got That's them. Right. It's going to happen. And for them to brush you off or think that you were off the chart with what you brought up, to me, is really uh, they're trying to intellectualize every damn thing. And some people are really afraid. They're afraid that the system might think uh, they don't know what they might think. Teach them children about gun safety. You're not advocating carrying a gun, but they are out there. This terrible shooting in Tennessee the other day, with this fool, and and then you got to be at a at a certain mindset to shoot babies with a gun like that. I I I, I can't even fathom it. You got to be nuts. But anyway, they're talking about gun control in America. You can you can do all the controls you want. People, you want guns, certain type of gun, you can get them. And I'm just guns are I'm as just American as baseball and as apple pie. As apple pie, gun control, but physically not letting people buy that. Man, you can you can in America if you got the money, you can get the weapon if you got the money. So now it's about teaching our children first of all conflict resolution diversion. Why does violence have to always be the answer to our disagreement? We have to teach them once something does happen, I'm at a level now, you shot my brother or my cousin or my boy. I cannot let you get away with that. So it's the retaliation thing. When does the retaliation stop? Because like Brother Purnell said, who one of the writers of the story about the Angola Three, he said retaliation is perpetuation. That's something we got to put on a T-shirt because it never stops. Retaliation is perpetuation. Where do we cut it off? Where do we get to the young men and say, hey, I know he killed your loved one, man. I know it's rough. I know it's rough, but it's killing him then Putting yourself in the institution, is that the answer? Two things. One, what are some of the programs that you have mm-hmm. and, and you know, the studio and all that stuff for our young people? Then also, how can people get in touch with you if they want to have events and all that kind of nice stuff? Yes, sir. The Violence Intervention Workshop is one of the things that we're doing 
Also, uh, Brother Anthony will be holding classes because he is an official instructor now with the um, uh, the mental part about violence. You know, uh, I forget what he called the program. I'm going to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Uh, mm-hmm. It starts with a C. Okay. But it's uh, it's about the cognitive. That's okay. the word I was looking for. Okay. Thank okay. you. Okay. Cognitive something right. teaching. And right. he, he's having classes with that. The number for Brother Anthony, who is the manager, the general manager of the center, is 205-545-1284. 1284-545-1284. My direct number is area code 504-723-3976. And as before we leave, Brother Ivor and I was talking earlier on how do we get those of us who are woke to being more involved. It's our responsibility. No one else is going to do it. Without freedom, justice, and equality, we will never have peace. And only we can do it, brothers and sisters. We're the only ones that can do it. God blessed me with two amazing grandfathers, one that I didn't meet and one that passed when I was at a young age. Mm -hmm. And so ever since I put my eyes on him, I've made Brother Walter my granddaddy. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. I... Your words mean everything to me. When I talk to you, I I tell you this all the time, I'm full when I leave your presence. Mm. You mean the absolute world to me. And I want to thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. And again, thanks for being, uh, having the vision of this podcast. You and Brother Flowers, I see he's a very technical guy. You're blessed to have him too. (laughs) And uh, to use modern technology to get the word out to our people. It's not going to come across CNN news. What you hear on this podcast, you won't hear on the mainstream media. So thank you, Brother Iva, for what you're doing. And may God continue to bless you. I want to thank you all for listening. And as always, a huge shout out to Creed 63, R360 News, and UrbanHam.com. God bless. This podcast has been brought to you by Jefferson County Sheriff's Office.